0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, we continue our series on the book of Ruth, finding God in the disappointments and losses in life. So let's turn to Ruth chapter 1, verses 12 to 18 in our Bibles, as we look at a message entitled, Confession of a Genuine Convert, with Dr. John Neufeld.
1: Jesus once told a parable of a sower who went out to sow. You know, ancient farmers would carry seed in a sack, usually strapped around their shoulder and hanging down on the left side of their body. And then they would reach into the bag with their right hand and with a wide, underhanded motion, spray the seed out in front of them. And that seed would fall in different parts of soil, some on a hardened path, some on a rocky soil, some on soil infested with dormant seeds containing weeds, and some on good soil. And his point was that the message is the same, but the person who hears the message is different. And as Jesus later explained that parable, he would say that there are people who hear the message of the kingdom, and while they are overjoyed to hear, some only endure in this message for a short time. Persecution follows, and a multitude of concerns that are part of living in the world, which include the fact that you must make a living so they eventually fall away. And Jesus reaffirmed this reality in several ways. In Luke 14, he tells of a king who is making plans for war. He will, first of all, he says, sit down and calculate whether or not he has the ability to win. If not, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. The point was that anyone who wants to be Christ's follower should calculate whether they really want to pay the cost demanded for them to become a disciple. You know, I used to pastor a church that had many immigrants, and I have heard many stories in which a Christian conversion meant that the new convert would be thrown out of his or her family, and in a few cases, the person actually had a contract out for them demanding their death. The cost of following Christ was real for them. Now, in the case of Ruth, the cost of becoming a convert to the God of Israel was just as demanding. That's why I've entitled this message, Confessions of a Genuine Convert. It's because every genuine convert, regardless of their family or culture, has a price to pay. For some, it will include the loss of friends and family, and for others, it may be the loss of a lucrative job. For some, it's the loss of their reputation, and for some, it means turning from a sin that has been a source of comfort to them in the past but for all it means to abandon the idols that were once a part of our lives and to turn from that which we once worshipped and couldn't live without and to serve the true and the living God. Now, we've been studying the book of Ruth, and we've ended our study yesterday with Naomi urging her two daughters-in-law not to journey to Israel with her but return back to Moab, to their people and to their gods. Why follow a disillusioned older woman who has nothing and who had even lost faith in God's benevolence towards her? And Ruth 1.14 reads, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. What now occurs is in some senses almost unthinkable. Adele Berlin writes, The ancient world had no mechanism for religious conversion or change of citizenship. The very notion was unthinkable. But it really was not unthinkable for Israel and its people. If one goes back to the story of the Exodus, at the moment Israel came out of Egypt, Exodus 12:37 to 38 says, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, and then note this line, a mixed multitude also went up with them. The mixed multitude must refer to a great many people who are not ethnically Hebrews from the genetic race of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, it must have been a number of people of God who are actually of mixed ethnic origin. Furthermore, Numbers 9 makes it clear that the Passover was open to Gentiles if they will commit to live under the law of the God of Israel. And of course, was that amazing account recorded in both Joshua Chapter 2 and chapter 6, a prostitute named Rahab, a Gentile immoral woman from the city of Jericho in faith, hid two Hebrew spies and in so doing made an agreement with them that she would join herself to the people of God. Ruth must have believed it was possible for her to do the same. See, all I can imagine was that in spite of the animosity that had historically existed between Israel and Moab, and the recent encounter with the Moabite king Eglon ruling over the Hebrews for 18 years, and his assassination at the hands of a Hebrew judge, in spite of all this, Ruth would not take her sister-in-law Orpah's lead on this one. Because from Orpah's perspective, she will not desert her traditions, her ancestors, and her religion. But Ruth doesn't see it that way. She clings to Naomi. She won't let her go. And by now, Orpah is gone, and the two women, the disillusioned and disappointed Naomi, and the hopeful and believing Ruth left alone. Two women engage in an intense conversation. Verse 15 reads, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. We have seen how complicated this statement is, how it makes Naomi into a hypocrite. But if we do not at least try to understand what she's saying from her perspective, we fail to understand the story. Let's remember her rationality. Verses 11 to 14 reads, But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Now, Naomi wanted the two women to see how unreasonable this is. It's important not to read this account as if it were written in the Western world in the 21st century because, you know, within our culture we might say, ah, sounds creepy. Uh, You were even thinking about having kids now and I should wait for 20 years to marry one of them? Uh, Wherever did you get that idea? But we must understand love and marriage in a very different way than we do in our Western ideal of romantic love. Most people throughout history have gotten married and then, after the marriage, learn to love that person, rather than how we think of getting married because we love that person. And furthermore, we can't understand Naomi's statement unless we understand the law of liverite marriage. Listen to Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. It says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. "'Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her.'" Naomi understands this. This is how things are done in Israel, and she wants her daughters to see how absurd this is in her situation. If you assume Naomi is married at, let's say, 17, 18, uh, maybe she's 20 when both of her sons are born, and these two boys are 20 when they marry, and they live 10 years in Moab, Naomi must have been around 50 years of age. Having a child is not going to happen, and then waiting another 20 years seems unreasonable. But if these women don't marry, they're going to be destined to poverty. Now, when I read this, I'm left to ponder why Naomi doesn't mention what seems to me to be the other alternative. Why does she not mention that she will find from among her relatives husbands for these two women? And the answer must have something to do with the animosity between Israel and Moab. Naomi knows there is so much bitterness between the two nations, these two women will never be accepted. She never mentions this, but this seems an obvious, unmentioned feature of the story. And this brings us to the theme of the story. The confessions of all genuine converts are that the journey of God came with a wild gamble, unless God's promises are true or sunk. In some ways, Ruth exemplifies for me the greatest faith any human being can have. I know that Abraham is the father of faith because he left Ur of the Chaldeans to journey to the land of promise, and God had told him that he would make of him a great nation and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What awaited Abraham was an everlasting destiny. So Abraham gambled everything he had on the promises of God, and that's what faith is. But Ruth, well, she has no visitation from God, no no extraordinary promise. What she had was probably the slenderest piece of evidence that the God of Israel will shelter her under his wings. And on the basis of so little, she commits herself. I want to say her faith was greater even than that of Abraham. See, for those of us who value family and security over the call of God, family and security become an insurmountable barrier to God. Jesus put it quite bluntly in Luke fourteen twenty six, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the word hate must be understood within its context. Whatever stands between you and Christ must be despised in this sense, in the sense that it cannot be valued over Christ. The fact is, many people never respond to the gospel because they don't want interruptions in their lives. Everything they want must be planned and in control. And in this way, control, security, safety, all these things become an idol that our souls simply will not release. And when we come back, we're going to read some of the most famous words in the Bible, words that have been repeated at countless weddings. But they are words that really should be repeated at countless personal testimonies because they tell what conversion actually feels like.
0: Stay with me for that. There's so much more to this critical point in the story about Ruth's decision to cling to Naomi than we might read at first glance. I think we've been shown what a powerful and life-changing decision she had to make. It wasn't just about following her mother-in-law, this was about following God. After the break, we'll see more about this incredible leap of faith that Ruth took and how her story is not unlike ours. Being delivered to your homes across the country right now is the August-September issue of Truth and Life magazine. This issue focuses on the all-important topic of culture, the culture we live in, how to be salt and light as followers of Jesus in our culture today, and how to speak to a multicultural society about Christ. These are essential issues of living out our faith in a meaningful way. So make sure to receive your copy of Truth and Life magazine this month. And as an added feature, we'll be presenting the Truth and Life magazine online at backtothebible.ca. And not only this month's issue, but back issues as well. But to receive your own free subscription, all you need to do is call us at 1-800-663-2425 or sign up online at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfound.
1: Sometimes following Christ can seem like taking a leap into the unknown. It's scary. It's unlike anything you've ever done. Of course, Naomi wasn't helping. God, in her words, was against her. And surely he was against all who were with her. And once this had escaped from her lips, something just clunked in Orpah's heart. She embraced what Naomi said, and as soon as she did, Orpah's journey toward the God of Israel had ended. Christians, watch what you say. Your words will make the difference in people on the road to heaven or hell. But, says our Bible, Ruth clung to Naomi. Now, the old King James translates that as cleave. And those of you who remember the old King James will remember that in Genesis, it is said that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. In other words, Ruth was determined that no other attachment that she presently had would be greater than her attachment to Naomi. She was expressing permanence, a permanent bond between her and Naomi. And this was too much for Naomi. It brought out the very worst in her. Now to those famous words in Ruth 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now that word, urge, as in, do not urge me to leave you. That word urge is the same word that is used in Ruth chapter 2, verse 22. There Naomi is speaking to Ruth and says, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. Now, The word assaulted, which refers to rape, is the very same word in one sixteen, translated as urge. It means to press someone violently against their own will. Understand the tone in which Ruth is communicating these beautiful words. For the first time, we hear anger in Ruth's voice. Do not assault me this way any longer. Do not abuse me any longer. Do not press me against my will by attempting me to drive me from you and from the God of Israel. And then in order to make her determination known, Ruth tells Naomi the two women will never live apart. They will be a part of each other's lives so closely they will live together until one of them dies. Now, in the Old Testament, the idea is clearly presented that one's God and the people of that God cannot be separated. I know that in the West, we tend to see matters rather individualistically, But that really isn't biblical, because God created his people, so then to belong to the one true God is to belong to the people of that true God. You know, added to that, the idea of burial was key. One was buried among one's own people, kind of like the world that existed in Canada three generations ago when churches used to have graveyards in order to make the statement that one was united with a people of faith both in life and in death. So what's Ruth saying? Daryl Bach said it well. He said, with radical self-sacrifice, she abandons every base of security that any person, let alone a poor widow, could have clung to. And then, that in case you missed it, she calls a curse down on herself. May I be cursed by the God I have come to believe in, if ever I abandon this commitment. May the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, do so to me, and more also, if I abandon any part of this agreement. Now, reading that text might make us wonder, May the Lord do what to me? I mean, she doesn't say. But interestingly enough, we find that same statement numerous other times in the Bible. For instance, after the death of Abner, David tore his clothes and grieved and refused to eat. And his men came to encourage him to eat, and he responds, God do so to me, and more also, if I taste bread or anything before the sun goes down. You find Solomon using that same formula. Even wicked King Ahab would use that formula, but what does it mean? Well, throughout the law of Moses, provision is made for people to make an oath before the Lord. Never were people required to make oaths, but once they had made them, they were bound to them. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You remember the rash oath Israel made to the Gibeonites in the book of Joshua, and even though it was not in their best interest to keep their promise, they refused to break it. Oaths cannot be broken without incurring the displeasure of God. The Bible says to do so means that we will bear our iniquity. Later in Psalm 15, we are told that vile people make oaths and then break them. So when Ruth makes an oath and calls on the God of Israel to respond in kind if she breaks it, she places herself under the wrath of God if she should at any time forsake Naomi. Now, many of us have heard the statement, don't burn your bridges after you. And the idea is, don't leave yourself in a place that if you make a mistake, you can't go back. And in many cases, that's very good counsel. But in some cases, that is the worst counsel you can receive. You know, when the Allied troops landed on the shores of Normandy and those boats opened up in the front, there was no way back. They would either defeat the enemy, take out their machine gun nests, or they would all lie dead on the beach. And there are some things in life in which we are meant to burn our bridges, in which there is no escape clause, no exit plan, no way out, but only straight ahead. And this, by the way, is why this verse is so often quoted at marriage ceremonies. Couples used to say verses 16 and 17, standing at altar, they're saying, no matter how this turns out to be, No matter how sick you become, or no matter what you and I become, may the Lord do so to me if anything but death separates the two of us. You know why so many people come to church occasionally, then go back to their old way of life, then come back to church and they feel better for a while, and then go back to their old way of life? It's because they've never been converted. They've never burned their bridges. They've never thrown themselves onto Christ with no way out, but only pressing ahead into God. They think they can constantly run back and forth between Israel and Moab, but that's an illusion. You can't go to the God of Israel until you burn your bridges. So if you're going on a journey to God, if you're going to find God in the disappointments and losses of life, you'll have to give yourself to an unwavering faith. I will follow you, whether the pathway be easy or it be hard. The nature of the pathway is not the issue. The nature of the God I cling to, that's the issue. And so we come to the final verse in our section, and if you think about it, it is rather quite lovely. Ruth 1.18 says, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. In fact, there is no more to say. It's over. Ruth is a converted woman, and hers is the confession of a genuine convert. And what do we make of that? Well, Let's consider the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Remember what he said? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, listen, I understand that that's God's promise to us. He will never let go of our hand, but let's make that our promise to God. Let's say to him that regardless of what comes, I will press into you. Regardless of the hardship or the ease in which I find the Christian life, in the midst of sorrow, loss, pain, and an uncertain future, I have burned my bridges and I stand with Christ. I am his for all time. So shall it be, Lord Jesus. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death separates me from you.
0: John, what a great story. It's really a story of encouragement to see how uh, Ruth just took hold of what she believed was right and took hold of her relationship with God. I want to look back though at something you said earlier in today's message. And you said, Christians, watch what you say. Your words will make the difference in people on the road to heaven or hell. Could you share a little bit more about that for us?
1: I think sometimes we simplify what we say. So, you know, we say to ourselves, well, I shouldn't use profanity. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't say those kind of things that are God dishonoring. But we need to recognize that whatever is not done in faith is God dishonoring. When we express confidence in God in all times, even in the times of sorrow and struggle and suffering, we are in fact lifting up God's name. See, that's what we're called upon to do. We're called upon to trust Him. And we're called upon to express our trust to others in the same time. I mean, struggle are a great time for us to share our faith. Don't you think so?
0: Thanks, John. And uh, it is a great opportunity for us to realize the importance of sharing our faith in not only what we say, perhaps what we don't say, but certainly in how we live. Thanks for joining us again today. I'm back to the Bible Canada. And join us again tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld continues our study in the book of Ruth. I wonder if many of us have read the story of Ruth and never understood that it is essentially a story about one woman's genuine conversion. Perhaps we too see ourselves reflected through her struggle to throw aside everything she's known, her family, her old life, to follow God at all costs. We all must learn to burn the bridges behind us, those things that hinder us from God, and take that step of faith maybe this will challenge some of us to evaluate our walk with Jesus and consider whether our commitment to live for him is genuine. Please join us tomorrow as Dr. Newfeld continues in the series looking at Ruth chapter 1 verses 19 to 21. I hope that today's program has challenged people right across the country to hold fast to your relationship with God, to put behind those things that hold us down or hold us back from walking closer to Jesus every day. As you may know, the daily teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada are now broadcast every week over 1,200 times. What a great privilege it is to present God's Word of Truth across this nation. Recently, we received an email with these words of encouragement. God has, in my humble opinion, used you and your team at Back to the Bible in a most effective way to bring this message to others around the world. I cannot express my joy in listening and will continue to spread and use your words to share with others as well. You know, it's your efforts and support that are so critical in making this Bible teaching program possible every day. And lives are being enriched, encouraged, and challenged. So call us today with your support at 1-800-663-2425 or visit online at backtothebible.ca.